Welcome to Multilingual Montessori, a podcast where we discuss multilingualism, multiculturalism, and raising children from a Montessori perspective. I'm Gabrielle Kutkov, an AMI Montessori guide and TESOL instructor, and I'm the founder of the Multilingual Montessori website and Instagram account. On the podcast, I interview parents who are raising multilingual children, Montessori guides who have taught in bilingual classrooms or who are themselves multilingual, and adults who grew up speaking two or more languages. We discuss the intersection between language and identity, how to find balance when speaking two or more languages in a monolingual environment, and all the joys and challenges that we experience along the way. Today I'm speaking with Sophia O'Brien Udry, a children's house guide at a Montessori school in New York City. Although Sophia is monolingual herself, she teaches at a bilingual Montessori school and we talk about her experiences working in a bilingual environment and what she has learned about language from her bilingual colleagues and students. Sophia is also the director of culture at her school, where she partners with families to narrow the gap between the Montessori classroom and the home. In this episode, we talk about the ways that parents and teachers can support children's language development in the preschool years, and what Sophia believes is the most important reason to expose children to multiple languages. Here's my conversation with Sophia. Hi, Sophia. Welcome to the Multilingual Montessori podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Me too. Um, So to start, tell me about your Montessori journey. How did you first find out about the Montessori method and what drew you to Montessori? Sure. So I graduated college. I studied art history and was planning on going into kind of the arts world in New York and whatnot. Um, And I moved here and realized that I hated it. (laughs) Um, Just like uh, I was working some gallery jobs and whatnot, and it was really just a bad fit for me. Um, but luckily, at the same time, you know, arts world jobs don't pay well, so I was nannying at the same exact time, and I always loved nannying. I've been nannying forever, um, and I was like, okay, I know I love children. I know I don't want to do what I thought I wanted to do. What if I just try this in, in a different shape or form? Um, and just kind of randomly applied to assistant jobs and found myself at a Montessori school and fell completely head over heels over it like my first week being there I'd like never seen children being treated the way that they were being treated with dignity and respect and everyone seemed so happy and peaceful I didn't know children could function the way that they were functioning in the classroom um and so it was like kind of immediate like love at first sight and then I just kind of took the deep dive and now I'm a Montessori teacher and I've, I've been there ever since I'm not looking back yeah. Awesome. Um, so tell me a little about your training and what that experience was like after having worked in a Montessori school. Were there things that you thought you knew? I guess from my experience, I had also been an assistant before I did training and I kind of thought I knew everything about Montessori or mm-hmm. not, the, not how to give lessons, but a lot about the philosophy and how you treat children. And I felt like I learned so much there was so much that I didn't know that I didn't know when I did training. Absolutely. Yeah. So I kind of took a bit of an unconventional route to training. Um, my school that I work at now partners with an organization in Guadalajara called, um, that does an A, it's called AMA training. Um, so it's a little bit outside the scope of what is uh, traditional. Um, 
but when I did it, it was over quarantine, really like the deep of quarantine. Um, and it was the first time that I fully like devoted myself to reading Montessori's works and thinking more critically about the philosophy. Like, whereas like I'd been in like kind of the day-to-day -day aspect of like, okay, like I know that I'm not supposed to help them with their shoes. I know that I like can like guide them, hold their hands gently to guide them to the next work. Like I know all the, the basics, but once I was in training, I was like, okay, this is all clicking. There's all like this deeper purpose to everything. And um, just reading like the absorbent mind and seeing how everything like ties together in this like really magical way um, that everything has a purpose, that everything's connected and seeing the effects of why we hold their hands gently to guide them to a different work that has that impact on them like academically. Yeah. Um, and tell me what else you love about Montessori. So you, you told us a little bit, but what else really drew you to wanting to be a lead guide in Montessori? Yeah, um, this might seem, <laughs> it's probably not the most important thing, but it's like the thing that comes to mind first is like the role of the teacher is just so different at a Montessori school than in a traditional school. And I just love, well, first off, it's like seeing the children being treated with such respect and like seeing how they, they're able to like flourish in that way. But also, if you want to be a teacher, I was always very anxious about like, oh, I have to like stand at the front of a classroom and like, to like, like spew some thoughts at a bunch of a group sitting quietly and listening to me. But it just felt like much more of a natural way to interact with children as people. And knowing that like I my own role in the classroom is like decentralized and it's I, I can give more than I'm taking felt really good to me and still feels really good to me yeah um so then what was that experience like coming back like after quarantine when you had done your training um yeah transitioning into the role of lead guide yeah that was less difficult than I had imagined it being because we were you know online for so many months and just in my head about things and not in like not physically doing everything, but it came really, really easily. Um, like I felt because it's such a natural way of interacting with children as people, it wasn't, there was no hurdles. Like I wasn't like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Like everything felt right. Um, the difficult part was like in dealing with the logistical structures of what COVID did to our school and to our community. It was, it was, um, I was really amazed by the children in our parent community and how supportive everyone was, but it was still very difficult to navigate that, those logistical little pieces. So let's talk about language for a little bit and then we'll come back to Montessori. Um, so tell me a little bit about any experiences that you've had um, learning second languages? I'm a, I'm a little pitiful in that I am, don't speak any other languages except for English. Um, I was raised only speaking English. I went to public school and took Spanish for like many years and absorbed none of it, um, even though like my in my high school and my middle school, like it was predominantly Spanish speaking. I still came out not knowing any Spanish at all. Um, I also tried to learn Italian just because I, I, it was similar to Spanish and it seemed like I, maybe I could latch onto that language, but still to no avail. Um, 
but I've always been really interested in languages in college. Um, I wanted to learn another alphabet. So I tried, I dipped my toe into trying to learn Hebrew, um, which was not, I got a C minus. Like it was, it was not for me, but um, I'm glad I tried because it was, it did help me put my, it helped me see a, a, the world in a different way. Like trying to think in a different alphabet is like so, so mind bending. <laughs> so, going back to the classroom not even thinking about second languages how do you use or not use language uh in your day-to-day -day work in the children's house yeah i mean this is like something that i think about a lot um kind of related to what i was talking about is like the role of the teacher being so different in a montessori classroom like we don't talk much at all you know like we try to make our presence as like subdued as possible trying to take up very little space, whether that means like, oh, we sit down um, on the teacher's stool so we're not like just double the size of all the rest of the children. Um, it also means with our language, like we're very, very quiet. We spend most of our time not talking at all. We spend most of our time observing and interactions with children, trying to be as clear as possible and not to confuse them with any rambling or just get the point across like very very simply and in our lessons um like again we try not to confuse like our, our language has to be so intentional and so pointed that we're making sure that everything that they need to know is getting passed on but it's not me giving you i'm not the instructor i'm, I'm your guide i'm giving you the language that you can then use like when in a practical life lesson or something like window washing, well, we're not going to say I'm going to the, I'm going to wipe the squeegee from left to right, then up to down. We just say this is a squeegee, and you sh and show them how to do it. It's about showing instead of telling, and it it's so much more effective than if you start to ramble and confuse because then they, they don't know what to pay attention to. It's like either your words or your movements, but using your movement as a form of language. So that the children can see exactly what they should be doing is what's developmentally appropriate for them at this age. Yeah, yeah, I love that point that you bring up, and we talk a lot about in Montessori about um, speaking or moving and not doing both at the same time. Uh, and then when we talk about language acquisition, we talk a lot about giving the children rich and varied language and really, mm -hmm. you know, not using baby words and providing them with a lot of language input, but it is a balance because you don't want to give them unnecessary language when you're showing them things. So it's, yeah, it's a delicate balance. Yeah, absolutely. Like I feel in our three part cards, like we children have this hunger for large vocab and to learn all that they can. And we have to be very, we have to be very pointed about it. We can't, if we're giving three part card lessons, we're introducing so much new vocabulary, like all the parts of a, of a tree or an acorn. And we want them to be able to just focus on this one part of, I can't think of a part of an acorn, but like, we want them to focus <laughs> the on cap. that one part, the, the cap. I know that's not the most complicated word, but um, we want them to just focus on that, not focus on me laying out every single card while talking about how it should be laid out that will be reductive re redundant and confusing hmm. how do you think people can try to navigate that like like a new guide to montessori or parents at home 
how do you think people can try to find that balance? Yeah, I think it's a lot of it is about trying to take yourself out of it again, like trying to say like, I might be showing you how to use something, but it's about this thing that I'm showing you how to use. It's not about myself and this thing. It's I am an entity that is showing you this other object but I want you to be paying attention to the object and not to me because this is what I'm, this is what is more important right now. Mm, yeah, it, it definitely goes back to that idea that the guide is kind of the conduit and not mm-hmm. the center. It's, you know, teacher-led versus child-led. And we talk a lot about that in Montessori too. It's, I've found it's definitely a process, <laughs> a yeah. learning experience of how to adjust your perspective from that. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked a bit uh, before about how um, we talked a bit off offline about how mm-hmm. you think that multilingualism aligns with Montessori's vision. So tell me a little more about that. Yeah. Well, for starters, like I, I feel like I didn't um, emphasize like I'm monolingual, but I, I wish so bad I was I was multilingual um, and I'm so my school that I work at right now is a multilingual, is a bilingual school. So we teach English and Spanish. So I'm surrounded by multilingual people and children and teachers. And it's amazing to be a part of that. Um, and I think what we're doing is so important because it, we're, I might sound a little bit like heady right now, but like in, we're in an age where translation is going to come really fast and easy you know like there's already google translate there's no reason for us to believe that there won't be some extremely effect like while google translate can be like edge on comical right now like there's lots of mistranslations and whatnot but there is no reason for us to believe that that won't be like fixed in the coming years that there will be some really easy way to communicate with another person in another language really effectively very soon and so but that that just means that us teaching language like multi raising bilingual children and whatnot is going to be even more important to um, maintain because it's about changing our attitude of language as not a transaction and changing it into this is a way that we can shift our perspective perspective and see another culture um, and communicate and connect with each other in different ways that are, isn't just I know exactly what you're saying because language is much bigger than that culture. It's sharing a culture together. Um, And I feel like this connects with Montessori's idea of a cosmic purpose, um, which is about, you know, uh, how everything is connected, teaching children that like uh, what the the bees, the bees cosmic purpose is buzzing around and like, and, and help pollinating flowers as I connected to the flowers cosmic purpose. Like everyone is interrelated um, and that's a beautiful thing that should be gawked at um, more often. And I feel like language is a prime example of this. It's about connecting with people in a, in a meaningful way and not just about, oh, I, I can hear exactly what you, I know what you mean. Yeah. Which is like what a translation translation app would do. Does that make sense? And I think it does make sense. And I think from a like school and education perspective too, we don't want children to learn languages just so they can 
have the line on their resume and be able to apply to a different job. Like that's wonderful, of course, but also to have the perspective and the empathy, I think of understanding that not only does somebody use different words, but they might have a different worldview and a different perspective. And I think that also is something that languages can give to young children. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, and I feel like, again, it connects to just the whole philosophy of Montessori is like, um, you know, Montessori philosophy isn't about teaching like what is the most convenient or necessary, like right at this moment, like as traditional schools are birthed from, you know, uh, fact raising children to like, will work in the factory. Um, Montessori is about raising a whole person and like about thinking about how, yeah, how teaching someone's sewing skills will affect the writing and then and so on and so on and so on. Um, and whereas, of course, like, I do think there is the benefit of raising children who can um, function really well in the world. And Montessori has proven that we, we can raise children to function well outside of the Montessori schools. Um, but that's not the point. The point is like about raising a whole person. Um, so tell me a little about your experiences working in a bilingual school. Yeah, um, I think it's mo- like most of my co-teachers are bilingual and a lot of our children are bilingual. I mean, of course, they're learning Spanish at school too, but some already come are trilingual or multilingual. Um, and it's, I think, uh, very special to witness these kinds of connections that the children are able to make with each other. Um, I was witnessing these two children who both speak French at home, um, speaking in French with each other during lunch the other day. And I was like, this is so um, incredible to be able to see and also incredible to be able to not understand. Like they're having this really intimate, special connection that I'm not understanding. Um, And so in in some ways that makes it more um, important to them because they're connecting in a way that they can't connect with me. and I want that to be like a important part of their day. Like the children are all connecting with each other in ways that us adults aren't gonna understand, um, even if they were in the same language speaking English, or even if they were speaking a language I could understand. But seeing that they, there's all these different modes of connection that everybody in my classroom is able to make by speaking different languages is very beautiful. Yeah. Um, what is the, like what is the setup in the classroom for bilingual education? I know some classrooms have two guides and each guide speaks a language or sometimes the assistant gives the language lessons. How does it work in your classroom? Yeah, so most of it is, um, it's our co- my co-teacher who speaks Spanish um, will kind of like just flip back and forth in between speaking Spanish with different children. Um, give some lessons in Spanish. And of course our assistant, some of our assistants speak Spanish. Um, and so that is like the, pre- there's like an ever present uh, Spanish presence in during work time. But then we also have a, like an afternoon special so that is all in Spanish. So that like there's a part of the day where the predominant language is Spanish. Nice. And what have you um, observed in the children's language progress throughout yeah. the course of the year? Uh, it's been like remarkable to see like right now we're doing a, a spring musical that is all in Spanish um, 
And I'm honestly not usually there for the part of the day that's special because I'm usually resetting the classroom or doing other things. Um, so I haven't been, I'm not like immersed in it every single day. So it's easier to see their progress. Um, Cause like, okay, a couple of months ago, I, I saw their specials rehearsals and you know, they're kind of like just making sounds with their mouth. Like, I'm not sure if they actually understand what they're saying, but now seeing this like Spanish musical all in Spanish and seeing how well their pronunciation is. And it seems like they actually understand what they're saying with that. I don't understand. Um, incredible, just incredible. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Um, do you have a lot of children that come in speaking Spanish from home or do most learn it in the classroom? Yeah, we have a lot of children who uh, only speak Spanish at home. Um, so what we'll do, some of those parents ask us to only speak English with them. Like it's, there's a back and forth to our school of like, um, I mean, of course, they're also in my, are all Spanish specials, but we might assign them to, uh, we have advisors to, we split up the classroom that each teacher is responsible for a group of children um, in their lesson. So like we might assign like a, a child who only speaks Spanish at home with an with like me, like someone who only speaks English. Um, but then they're also, if it's very important, it's important for them because if, if we have a child who only speaks Spanish at home and they are clearly, they're in the process of normalization, they need some kind of comfort, some kind of um, familiarity at school. We have a, a we'll, we'll always have a teacher who can speak their home language. Mm. And yeah. do you observe that the children use Spanish at all as a social language or do they mostly speak in English to each other? I think for the most part they speak in English to each other because it is while we are a bilingual school most of our circles like our morning circles are in English they're, and we're also in, in New York um, so it's they're surrounded by English mostly for the most part um, and but it is really, that makes it even more special when you do see them speaking in Spanish with each other. Cause you're like, oh, like, what are you guys talking about? Like what, what brought it, prompted you to like start speaking in Spanish right now? Like that is so, I, I have no idea what you're saying. Someone else does, but it's very, it, again, it like makes it so, it's like what something clicks with them. Like, oh, this topic I want to talk about with, with this child in Spanish instead of English. Like why, why did you reverse that? And I don't know, it's kind of a, a mystical, interesting thing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so what advice would you give to a Montessori guide or a guide in training about the use of language in the children's house? Yeah, um, I feel like my biggest advice is just to, you know, think of children as people, like as, as people who deserve respect and gentleness and kindness and, um, be really intentional about your language, be very, um, choose your words um, purposefully, like think about how the, the, your tone, like how, like would you want to be talked to in a rude tone? No, so neither does this person, this four-year-old person. Um, yeah, that's my biggest advice is just be super intentional and like understand that the way that you use language will have a huge impact on your classroom. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think that advice could also go for parents. But my next question was going to be, uh, what advice would you give to parents about language that we use with young children in general, if there's anything else that you would change or add to that? Yeah, I, I would definitely, definitely same answer. But um, 
yeah, I, I would say re do your research, like look into positive discipline, look into uh, like how Montessori teachers talk to each other. Of course, it's going to be different because you're a parent. Um, is a huge difference between a teacher and a mom or a dad or whoever. Um, but yeah, just think really critically and honestly about how you're interacting with your child and the, the way that you're talking to them, not just the words that you're using. Mm, yeah. yeah. Do parents ever um, come to you with concerns about their children's language development because of the bilingualism in the school? And what do you, what do you tell them? Yeah, I feel like most often the questions are about um, if they're already a second, if English is already their second language, if they're concerned that they're not making enough progress in their letter sounds, that it's going coming a little bit more slowly than maybe another child who only speaks English at home. Um, I don't hear that many concerns about the school itself, like whether or not to our bilingualism at school is, is affecting any children negatively. I hear more of it from the side of um, my child only speaks Spanish at home and they're learning English at school, but that I'm worried about their progress in both. Um, and when I get those questions, I, I just think like, don't worry. <laughs> like what you're doing is really important. Like it's much more important that they're developing these neural pathways of being a bilingual child that they're, a lot, that they're not going to be able to get if they're learning a language at, you know, age 20. Um, and that you should, no matter if they might be learning the letter sound a little bit slower, if, you know, if, if, but they have this really important and amazing ability to speak in two languages. And that is so much more interesting than being able to do SMAT. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were talking about before that in Montessori, the focus isn't only on the academics, like it might mm -hmm. be more in a traditional school. It's also about the socio-emotional component and what they're getting being in that community too. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything about language or Montessori or your own experiences that we haven't covered? I don't think so. I feel like this is pretty, this is pretty um, hefty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we covered, we covered a lot in a short amount of time. Um, thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Thank you again to Sophia for joining me for this conversation. You can follow Multilingual Montessori on Instagram at multilingual.montessori and you can find more resources for raising bilingual and multilingual children from a Montessori perspective at multilingualmontessori.org. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would leave a five-star rating. If you'd like to join the Patreon community to help keep the podcast running, you'll find the link to that in the episode description. Another wonderful way to support the podcast is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.